Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods and I'm your host today. Um, We have a show that's going to be, um, I'm hoping, uh, very thought-provoking for for our listeners. Our guest is Patricia Taylor, who is the Executive Director of Faces and Voices of Recovery, which is a national um, organization that's really um, been developed to promote the fact that recovery from addiction is, in fact, possible, and it happens frequently, and it's a way to um, help kind of get the word out that, you know, most of us know someone who has an addiction and most of us know someone who's in recovery, but the amount of stigma and discrimination that folks um, experience who are in recovery or who are seeking treatment for addiction is tremendous. And we really need to be able to break through those barriers and because addiction is treatable and people's lives get better families get better, the community gets better, and our government gets better when people get into treatment. And um, I'd like to introduce our our guest today, and as I said, Patricia Taylor is the Executive Director of Faces and Voices of Recovery. Um, She has over 30 years of experience developing and managing local and national public interest advocacy campaigns on a range of issues, including health care, community development, and philanthropy. Um, She directed the Alcohol Policies Project, um, at the Center for Science in the Public Interest, and she was also um, involved with the uh, Advocates Alert Process, um, the Advocates Senior Alert Process, which was a campaign with Families of USA. And um, Pat, before I push you this anymore, can you share with us what exactly Faces and Voices of Recovery is and, and how it got established? Oh, Mary, I'd be happy to, and thanks so much for uh, having me be on the show today. Uh, A little over 10 years ago, uh, people in recovery and allies got together and uh, realized that there wasn't a voice of an organized, what we call the organized recovery community, and had a summit in St. Paul, Minnesota. And one of the things they did uh, leading up to that summit was to uh, find out if people in recovery and their family members would be interested in being part of a national advocacy campaign, and uh, the exciting news is that they were, and that uh, Faces and Voices of Recovery was founded a little over 10 years ago. Um, since then, we've grown to uh, be a national organization of over 30,000 members, and with a growing network of local and state-based what we call recovery community organizations around the country, and these are organizations where 
Um, they do one of three things. One is they educate the public, as you mentioned, about the reality of recovery. Um, they advocate on behalf of policies locally and also nationally that support opportunities for people to find recovery and to end these discriminatory policies that are really keeping people from getting their lives back on track. And then the third thing that many of them do as well is to deliver what are called peer recovery support services. And uh, these are services that are not clinical, um, that link people who need treatment to treatment, that are given to people who are in a clinical setting or are in our jails and prisons across the country. And there are also services that are available once people are no longer using alcohol and other drugs and really want to reconnect with the community, perhaps get a GED, perhaps uh, get their resume together for the first time and reunite with their family. So there's this growing network of recovery community organizations, and uh, many of them have opened... Uh, what we call recovery community centers, which are kind of like a senior center or uh, a Gilda's Club for women with breast cancer. It's a place in the community where the uh, resources to support recovery are organized. So there's like 49 of them already across New England alone. So it's uh, we're part of a, really a growing movement of uh, people coming together to advocate and to educate uh, about the reality of recovery. Um, in, in your opinion, Pat, why do you think we need these communities? I mean, there's certainly substantial research that, that defines addiction as a treatable illness and that, in fact, that uh, recovery is usually the course of, of the illness. Why do you think we, we need this? Well, we've got a lot of research on addiction, but we don't have very much research on recovery. And that's really one of the things that we're advocating for here at Faces and Voices of Recovery is a better understanding of how people get well. And uh, clinical treatment is a really important part of people stop using alcohol and other drugs, but what happens after that? So that's why there's this uh, growing network of opportunities and resources for people to um, manage their chronic health condition. Uh, people with diabetes, for example, they have coaches to help them uh, better manage their diet. Uh, people with heart disease uh, have exercise programs. There's all sorts of resources available for uh, people with other chronic health conditions. And unfortunately, up until recently, we have, have uh, you know, uh, not developed that network of support and uh, ongoing uh, opportunities for people uh, to manage their recovery over the long haul. And uh, one thing that we do know is that the longer uh, people stop, are no longer using alcohol and other drugs, uh, and they progress in their recovery, that uh, the better their lives get. And so we need to really uh, develop much more recovery-oriented communities and uh, recovery-oriented opportunities. One of the things that has been really exciting to me over the last couple of years is um, having an opportunity to spend time with uh, young people in recovery, kids who started uh, drinking and drugging when they're, you know, 12 or 13 and got into recovery when they're 19. And one of the issues for them is, like, how do you go back to school? How do you, how do you uh, kind of grow up when you're not using alcohol and other drugs and uh, lead a rich and full life? And how, how do we as communities provide places where, uh, young people who are in recovery and older people and their families as well uh, can socialize together, uh, can be in environments where uh, drinking and using drugs isn't kind of the norm. So how do we, how do we develop what I call recovery-oriented communities that 
um, support people who found recovery, but also support their families. And uh, by the way, we're building healthier communities at the same time. So there's a lot more involved here. And I think what's exciting about where we are today is that uh, people are thinking more holistically about uh, how people can really get their lives back on track for the long haul. When you talk about a recovery community, how would you define who who makes up a recovery community? Well, at Faces and Voices of Recovery, we talk about the recovery community as people in recovery, their family members, friends, and allies. So that's kind of the broader recovery community. And then we have this whole other um, uh, network, I guess I would call it, of what we call the organized recovery community, and that's uh, people coming together as an organized a nonprofit entity, a recovery community organization. So um, there is this growing network. We have uh, 80 groups that are part of our Association of Recovery Community Organizations, and those those entities, just like you know, a League of Women Voters or a PTA or any other nonprofit that you think of in your community, are coming together in a more organized kind of a way. And their members, just like our members, are people in recovery their family members, friends, and allies. So um, in the state of Pennsylvania, for example, there are five recovery community organizations, and um, some of them operate recovery community centers. Almost all of them advocate uh, before they're in their communities and before the state of Pennsylvania and also nationally on behalf of policies that support recovery. And I think I know almost all of them uh, kind of have uh, ongoing education and outreach programs in the community. Um, one group uh, has recovery coaches going into a local prison. Uh, another uh, organization um, provides uh, GED programs for people in the community. So there's really a host of activities that the organized recovery community is carrying out. And what's really exciting to me is that what those activities are uh, are defined by uh, people in that particular community. So um, there's a lot of community listening that goes on about what resources aren't available, what do we need to organize to uh, meet the needs of uh, people seeking recovery in their families in a particular community. So it's very community-based, which is terrific. Um, I, I know in New England um, there have been a lot of activities, both in Connecticut and in Massachusetts, that um, for a number of years right. um, for recovery communities. And I'm, and I'm wondering, I know one of the things that, you know, I know this is kind of an individual definition, but how how do you conceptualize or define recovery? Well, there's a lot of conversations going on right now about what is recovery and um, uh, many um, uh, attempts to uh, define it. And what we have done at Faces and Voices of Recovery is um, develop a way for people to talk about what their recovery is as a way of kind of communicating with the public about the reality of recovery. So there are governmental efforts to define recovery, and, and part of that is uh, driven by this tremendous need w- that we have for research on how people can and do get well and having to have some recovery measures in order to carry out that research, which is really, really important. Um, uh, on the other hand, one of the things that we have learned at Faces and Voices of Recovery is that 
uh, the public doesn't know what recovery means, and that's part of our job is to educate the public and the policy and policymakers about what recovery is, and so which is a little bit different than defining recovery. Um, so we did um, a series of focus groups and uh, a national public opinion poll to find out about what people heard when they when someone said that they're in recovery, and we were really surprised to find out that the vast majority of Americans, when they hear that someone's in recovery, they think that they're trying to stop using alcohol and other drugs, which uh, really educated us about the fact that um, there's language that people in recovery and their families use among ourselves, kind of, and we think everybody knows what we're talking about. But when it comes to the word recovery that uh, we all may know or have an idea of how, what recovery is, but uh, most other people don't. And so um, we took it upon ourselves to uh, spend some time developing what we call recovery messaging. And there's a lot more information about it on our website uh, at facesandvoicesofrecovery.org, all spelled out. Um, but really the gist of it is that uh, we've been training recovery advocates all across the country to use this recovery messaging. It's for people in recovery and for family members. Uh, and people use their full name uh, and introduce themselves and with their name and say, uh, you know, that they haven't been using alcohol or other drugs for however many years they haven't been using alcohol and other drugs. And probably most importantly then, uh, talking about what that has meant to their lives and what they're doing as a recovery advocate to um, make it possible for more people to get the help that they need. So this is really kind of explaining what recovery is. And as family members also talking about what it means to have a loved one get into recovery. So uh, we're doing webinars uh, later on this month specifically for young people about how they can talk about their recovery. So uh, we really we'll have be to become recovery communicators. And we'll be right back to talk more about being a recovery communicator and other um, things related to recovery after our virtual break. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Patricia Taylor, who is the Executive Director of Faces and Voices of Recovery, and we're talking about um, a number of different topics, all related to recovery from addiction. And um, before we went to break, um, Pat, you were talking about a webinar for teenagers? Yeah, so there are many, many young people in recovery, which is something we don't know or think about very often. And um, when they talk about their recovery, they have had a lot of different experiences, and uh, we were approached and asked about taking our broad kind of recovery messaging and if we could tailor it more specifically to young people, which we're in the process of doing. So at the end of March and in early April, we're going to be uh, having some webinars that will be archived on our website if anyone's interested in looking and listening to them, uh, where we'll have um, specific messaging uh, about being a young person in recovery and, and what that means and also what kinds of supports and services are needed for young people. So say you're in high school and you find recovery and um, uh, where, do you, where do you go back to school that's supportive of your recovery? And so um, these young people have some uh, very specific programs and um, uh, service needs that they're going to be talking about. So it's a, it's a great way to... Uh, be a recovery communicator and also be an advocate at the same time because really that's what this is all about is letting people know about the reality of recovery but also letting policymakers and others know about the services and supports uh, that people who are still struggling need and that there is an organized constituency of people uh, who's advocating on behalf of those services and supports. You know, I think that um, the use of, well, legal drugs in terms of um, the use of alcohol, prescribed medication is so much a part of the fabric of our, of our society. And I know in working at Westbridge, a lot of families really truly don't understand, well, why can't someone just drink one, one or two beers? Or especially if they're like 7, 18, 19, 20, they're young, you know, you know, they can, you know, it's okay if they have a couple beers, we just don't want them to drink too much. And there's that whole kind of coming of age um, phenomenon, I guess, that we have in this country that, that that is so tied to alcohol and alcohol use. And I know we have young men at Westbridge who are in recovery. They feel they they feel odd. They they feel different because their peers are all out partying and and doing the things that they perceive as real guy stuff. And um, and it's hard for for young people. There's not a lot in in our country that supports young sober people. No, it's really true, and, you know, I just had a conversation this morning with a young person who was, was talking about, uh, you know, he has so much more fun now in his recovery than he did when he was actively using, but that process of developing a new network of people to socialize with was a really difficult one, and, you know, other conversations that I've had are also with family members, so say your 16-year-old finds recovery, comes home, and you're having a giant thanks, or is in college, you come, come to home and you're having a big family celebration where a lot of people are drinking. And, you know, how, how, 
how do you think about it? How do you talk to your family about the fact that, um, you know, your son or your daughter is in recovery and it's not okay for everyone to get wasted at Thanksgiving dinner, you know? So it's like, how do we change the culture so that we are um, uh, being more healthy but also supporting these young people who have taken the time and made the commitment to find recovery? And it's, you know, there are so many, um, so many lives could change so much younger today than they did like 30 years ago when I first started working in this profession. And, uh-huh. and, and that's so wonderful to see um, because we can change the cycle that occurs in a lot of families. We know that um, addiction runs in a lot of families and we can break that cycle. Absolutely. And, you know, when someone in a family recovers, then there's an opportunity for the whole family to recover. And how do we take advantage of that? That's really exciting. You know, um, when I first started to work in, I'm a nurse and I'm a, I'm a counselor, but when I first started to work in the behavioral health field, if you will, I worked in, in the addiction world where recovery was seen as something that was attainable. That, you know, if, if you did what you needed to do, there was always hope that, you know, you know, people have gone before you, people have gotten in recovery, and it's possible. And when I went to work in a mental health center, it was the exact opposite. Oh, Interesting. And um, there wasn't an expectation that people would get better. If anything, the expectation is you have a chronic and severe mental illness that's going to become worse and you're going to die at an early age. And I'm kind of paraphrasing it. Right, but that was right. kind of like the, the, the outlook. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, now in mental health, they have really um, stepped up the whole idea of recovery from, from illness. And, and recovery doesn't have to mean that you're symptom-free. It means that you've learned to manage your symptoms and you're functioning in the world and, and, and you're moving towards your goals and you're having a meaningful experience in the world. And, and it's interesting because, you know, the National Alliance for Mental Illness started because a bunch of families wanted to advocate for, the, for better treatment for their, for their family members because it wasn't that long ago that people were put in asylums and hospitalized and treated, you know, as really citizens without civil rights. And, and the family members got together to advocate and, and do much what you're saying. and But in the addiction world, we didn't have that. You know, we never had that group that came forward to advocate for the sick and suffering alcoholics. So what you're doing is so important. Um, well, it's interesting because, you know, what I, what I see happening is that at the same time that there is this expectation that people will get well, and not only get well, but, you know, get a job, get their lives back on track in the addiction recovery community, at the same time that that's happening, we've also had, uh, because of the war on drugs, the uh, imposition of these incredible discriminatory laws that are really making it hard for people to do that. And so I think that's part of the reason that there is a growing advocacy movement uh, in, in the addiction recovery arena is to address those barriers. So say you get into recovery, you're not using alcohol and other drugs, but you have a criminal justice history because of your addiction. Uh, in some places, you can't get a driver's license, you can't get a housing, you can't get a job, you know. So um, so I think people are having to organize in response to these discriminatory laws. Well, you know, I think historically we always punish what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and you, know, um, you know, the vast majority of people who are in jail really don't belong in jail. They belong in treatment somewhere, and in jail isn't really going to help them cure what's wrong with them. And, Absolutely, uh, and, and, and I think that's kind of driving a lot of the change that I hope we see. The other thing is that there has been, you know, a, a rash, and I know in New England and other places around the country of people dying uh, from overdoses, and 
So I think we're seeing more parents coming together and organizing as a result of those tragic deaths. So that 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 is a change also in terms of kind of an organized constituency beginning to say no more, you know? Well, even before, um, you know, all of the... Um the attempts to to have national health care and health care reform, the um, detox beds have dried up all over the country. You know, inpatient beds have dried up all over the country. Sober mm-hmm. housing is very hard to find. And, um, and, and I'm not sure, you know, um, how new health care reform is going to help that. Do you have any idea? Well, I'm very hopeful, hopeful actually, about the Affordable Care Act because um, there will be millions more people who will have access to care than have ever had access to care in the past, and both for their addiction as well as for other physical health problems that they may be suffering. As a matter of fact, um, uh, this September, as part of National Recovery Month, we're going to be working with groups around the country as part of our Rally for Recovery uh, to enroll people who haven't been part of health reform uh, so that they can take advantage of this new opportunity for access to care, both for addiction and, and other health issues that they may be facing. So, you know, I, I think uh, it's everything's not going to be perfect, but I think that there are going to be uh, there's going to be many more opportunities, and we'll also have we'll be part of the health system in a significant way for the first time, and um, hopefully we can uh, leverage that over time so that people will have access to uh, clinical treatment, but also other support that they need. And uh, you know, I don't want to be Pollyannish about this at all because I know it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of advocacy. But as more people get help in the health system, that hopefully there will be other resources that have been uh, used to provide treatment and care that can be um, uh, with advocacy only, but we have to make this happen, uh, be used for other kinds of supports that people that haven't been funded in the past. And those are things like recovery housing and these new recovery community centers, um, really um, uh, thinking more broadly than health health services, but these broader um, uh, community-based services that we know work and that people haven't had access to in the past. So, you know, I I know it's not going to be perfect, but I'm very hopeful that um, because we are a part of health reform, that we're going to be out in the corner so much as we've been in the past, and it really mainstreams uh, getting help for addiction. And, uh, you know, when doctors start talking about it, when uh, other health providers start talking uh, about there is a solution and then you can get well and, you know, doing that kind of a of, uh, referral like for other health conditions, I think it will, it's, we're going to look back and, and mark this as a turning point, but we really have to stay on the ball in terms of uh, influencing what's in the essential health benefit, uh, where people can get help and things like that. So it's not going to be easy, but I think, I think it has tremendous, tremendous opportunity uh, for people getting help with their addiction. Do people need to be a member of a self-help group to be um, part of Faces and Voices of Recovery? Oh, not at all. As a matter of fact, I mean, one, one of the things that's so interesting is uh, we have a, on our website something called the Guide to Mutual Aid, uh, 
uh, which is um, probably, you know, one of the best resources where people can go for information about the vast variety of um, mutual support groups that there are out there, which is pretty exciting too, you know. Um, but Faces and Voices of Recovery doesn't have anything to do with any um, uh, mutual support program or anything like that. As a matter of fact, uh, we have a brochure called Advocacy with Anonymity, which talks about how you can be part of a 12-step program and also be an advocate. So we really try and separate out as much as we can uh, because, you know, if someone's, uh, you know, in a 12-step program as part of their personal recovery, that's terrific. Um, but uh, we're people in recovery, family members, friends, and allies, and it's very, very separate uh, from any particular 12-step program. Um, as I listen to you talk, Pat, it's obviously you have a, you have a lot of passion for this. Where does that passion come from? Well, my passion around this comes from a, a firm belief that I've always held that um, when people come together, we can really advocate on behalf of making our 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 public policy systems work the way we want them to. I'm someone who has experience with addiction in my own family and. Tragically, I've lost a couple of loved ones to addiction, um, and I, I know that that doesn't have to happen and that uh, when people come together, we really can make our country and our communities work the way we know they should. And we'll be right back after this commercial break to talk more about recovery and recovery communities and faces and voices of recovery with Ed Taylor. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Health and wellness is about making lifestyle choices that make us feel good about ourselves. It's easier knowing what to do than it is doing it. Listen to The Tams Toward a Magnificent Self Health and Wellness Show with your host, Tammy Anastasia, M.A., Tammy will explore and uncover the answers to what gets in the way of our motivation. Through her expertise and occasional guest experts, Tammy will inspire and motivate you to make realistic lifestyle changes. Listen live every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. 
Welcome back to our show today. Um, we're talking about the recovery community and the fact that it's organizing and it's beginning to speak out and, and to help um, hopefully end the discrimination and stigma that people in recovery experience. Um, Pat, could you just explain, because you've mentioned a couple times about recovery coaches, uh, what they are and how they might differ from a therapist or, or a self-help sponsor? Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for asking that also. So these, these recovery coaches are, you know, people with a lived experience uh, of recovery from addiction, and it can also be a family member who are offering uh, uh, support and guidance to people who are seeking or in recovery. And these are non-clinical supports. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're uh, helping people uh, link with other services. They're helping... Uh, people connect with resources and uh, helping folks as they move forward in terms of carrying out their recovery plan. So these are different services than a clinical service, which a therapist or a counselor might provide, or the, or it's very different also from a sponsor who's part of a, a, a mutual aid support. And numbers of recovery community organizations and others around the country, <clears throat> excuse me, are uh, training people to be recovery coaches, and we hope that this will be a, a reimbursable service as part of health reform. And uh, at Faces and Voices of Recovery, we're setting up uh, a system of accreditation to accreditation uh, to accredit organizations and programs uh, that are providing a host of uh, peer recovery support services, including recovery coaches. So the idea is that people uh, get trained as recovery coaches and they're supervised by others who are uh, have that expertise as recovery coaches and they uh, can be deployed out into the community so they can go into jails and provide uh, recovery coaching services to people who are incarcerated and as they leave the jail, uh, they can go into treatment centers, they can go into child welfare places. Um, there's just a whole host of... Uh, schools is another place where recovery coaches are, and they can be uh, young people who are peers. So it's sharing people who are trained uh, to lend support to others as they uh, make their way along on their recovery journey. So those are recovery coaches. So can can you give me a very specific example of what a recovery coach might do that might be different than, than a therapist or a sponsor? Well, it's based on, you know, kind of the lived experience. So it's an ongoing relationship that you have with somebody um, where there are boundaries in terms of what that relationship is, and it's helping people uh, to move forward uh, on their recovery journey. So it would be, uh, well, I guess one, one good example is, um, say, uh, someone who is newly in recovery is looking for um, uh, to get connected with, to go to school, for example, and needs to think about, uh, you know, how to fill out the forms and uh, doesn't have transportation and uh, going uh, with that person first filling, working to fill out the forms and then going and registering at the school. So that's a little bit, it's more, more like um, how do I, you know, get my life back together, helping out with those kinds of uh, skills and activities. I guess, for lack of a better word, a more practical kind of, yeah, I guess like, that's a good like word the, for it. You know, like it's like, how, how, how do I go about yeah. doing this, you know? Yeah. yeah, now that I know kind of what I need to do to stay sober and I have treatment, how do I make all this work? Right, in exactly. Yeah. And yeah. also kind of, you know, thinking about in terms of the lived experiences. So 
you know, people who are recovery coaches for people who are incarcerated are, by and large, people in recovery who have been incarcerated. So it's that lived experience. So being able to make that connection based on uh, the individual's uh, life history. So, uh, I mean, uh, it's really important in terms of thinking ethical boundaries in terms of this relationship, um, but part of the underlying uh, success of these recovery coaches is that shared lived experience. Um, I was wondering, you know, when, when you were talking a little bit about, um, you know, the the recovery community and the, and the recovery of the individual, what about families? I mean, the recovery of families. Does Faces and Voices have any resources? Because we know addiction is a family disease for families. Oh, absolutely. And it's very interesting. We, you've, I'm glad you asked that because it's, our board has been talking about this more and we have this Association of Recovery Community Organizations and at our last big meeting in uh November we were in Philadelphia and talking about, you know, what, what, what information do we need to share better among these organizations and that was one in particular. So we're, we, it's not available yet but uh, a number of these recovery community organizations and recovery community centers around the country have family support groups and other kinds of activities like that to support families. So um, we're going to be highlighting that and uh, groups will be sharing information uh, about what they're doing to support families, and um, we've, we've uh, there's a group out in uh, Walla, Washington, Walla Walla, Washington, called Trilogy Recovery Community Center, and that's really a family-focused recovery community organization. In all honesty, and um, they're they're very much focused on helping families recover as well as individuals. So I think we're going to see more and more of that as time goes on. You know, I think that's so vital because um, it's been my experience over the last however many years that families get a lot of um, bad information and they get a lot of bad advice. Mm-hmm. And and um, and this is just my opinion, and it's okay if you don't agree with it because I'm just going to put it out there anyway. But, you know, oftentimes this whole concept of people having to hit bottom is so pejorative and, and it's so, um, I don't know, devastating. I mean, people don't have to end up homeless living in a dumpster to get into recovery. And the idea that you just, by enabling somebody you're doing them harm. I think there's a difference between enabling somebody and being so fear-based as a family member that you don't know what else to do. Oh, absolutely. And so once you get labeled as an enabler, then all of a sudden there's something wrong with the family member. But in fact, they're scared to death and they don't know what else to do. And people are telling them to to let go, but letting go means I may lose my my loved one. And, And I don't know any other chronic illness, and, and that's what addiction is, is that people are given that advice. Well, I don't either. And, 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 and the family, uh, family members are, are experiencing all sorts of, you know, back and forth in terms of, you know, their feelings as well and, and, you know, how to help and how to help care for themselves as well as the family member who's struggling. I mean, it's just a lot going on in these families. And we really have to make sure that we help them heal as well as, as a person with the addiction. And I think it's really incumbent on the treatment community to find treatment interventions that that don't make somebody go out and be give them a better chance to be victimized by their disease. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really think that um, you know there, there needs to be advocacy within the addiction treatment community as well as with the general community as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and the idea that people have to you know get so far gone before they can recover is like just. I mean, that's that's just horrible on so many levels, you know. 
Yeah. So uh, educating people about where, what help is available, what what is help, you know, and um, giving people a sense that uh, people can do get well, and if one pathway doesn't work for you or for your loved one, that's not the end. I know of no other health condition also where they don't make sure that you know about all the available methods of care that are out there so that not only are they saying it's hopeful, but they're also saying, you know, if this doesn't work, we're going to try something else, you know. I mean, that's kind of the spirit of how we need to um, be addressing people with addiction is that we're going to stay with you until you get well because we know that you can get well, you know. So um, not waiting until the very end is definitely part of that. Right. And and not, you know, um, I don't know. I, you know. I've never really believed you can shame somebody into recovery. I think you shame people into their, their addiction. So uh-huh. if I turn my son or daughter out of the house tonight and they end up on the street and get victimized, that's just going to add to their shame. Yeah, and I'm and I'm not sure how that really helps somebody get into recovery. I, I I know that a lot of people feel differently about that, but I I know we work very hard with families to help them learn to set limits, uh-huh. but also develop a safety net so that if you set a limit and something, you know, their 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 family member chooses to do something that's probably not their the healthiest thing to do, there's a consequence with a safety net that right. it's not, you know. Um, shaming and blaming. Right, right. Well, and, and it's it, it's so interesting. And well, I just wanted to talk a little bit about something we do each year called America Honors Recovery. Last year, we honored a woman named Rosemary Tish, who's very involved with the National Association for Children of Alcoholics. And so there's this whole uh, network of people who are affected by addiction, but are also affected by recovery, and kind of how do we pull all of that together so that we can advocate that the kinds of help that people need is available when they need it, uh, and that we have these recovery-oriented communities and we're not punishing people, you know, because we've sent them through the criminal justice system. So as as we think about, you know, how do we um, bring forward and how do we educate about what's available and what works, we need to be much more transparent about that and figuring out ways uh, to get information out. So, you know, just like 20 years ago, no one talked about breast cancer and, how you know, and, and all of the supports and services around that and advocating for it. Uh, how can we kind of bring the conversation in uh, into, out into the open about where people are getting help, that you have a son or a daughter who's struggling or a husband or a wife who's struggling, and and people can get good information because there's more awareness about it. I mean, that's part of what we really need to change is so that there's not so much misinformation, but also that people feel comfortable, you know, talking about it and asking questions uh, in places where they can get good information. Um, I was reading in the paper weeks ago where there was a, a woman in New England who was on oxygen, so I'm assuming she has some type of um, lung disease, and she lit up a cigarette while she was on the oxygen, and she ended up burning her, her face and her oh. airway. Oh. And, and she got rushed, as she should have, to the hospital, and they got airlifted to a center that they could treat her burns. And I'm thinking to myself, if, if, that, was, if that was some other maybe addiction other than tobacco they wouldn't have gotten the same treatment, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that we need to, 
we need to help people understand that, you know, there are people out there walking around with heart disease that are still overweight and they're still smoking and they're not eating well. And when they get sick, we don't turn them away or we don't say you've only got two chances. Right, or you're a terrible person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At the same time, while while you're being denied care, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I I do think that there is some change, and really, that's what part of why I'm so hopeful about the Affordable Care Act is that having mainstreaming addiction and recovery, like other health conditions, in the long run, is going to make a huge, huge difference, and that um, we're not set off aside that you know addiction is a health condition that is part of our health system is a very important not only statement but also how do we deliver on the hope you know of of its inclusion but that's that is really a sea change and we'll be right back uh, after this commercial for our last segment um recovery community organizing and speaking out Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. No matter what you have tried, healing is always possible. Learning about healing, what it is, and what it can do brings a much clearer understanding of the process. Listen for the Healing Power Hour with Suzanne Hill. Our program will help you understand your own body so that you can understand how you can reduce or eradicate any negative health issues that you might be dealing with. Healing is energy-based, and by learning how it works, you help yourself. Tune in to the Healing Power Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back for our final segment of uh, our show today, and we are talking with Patricia Taylor, who is the Executive Director of Faces and Voices of Recovery. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about America Honors Recovery, because that's, that's such a nice title. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you, Mary. I'd be really happy to. Uh, each June, uh, we do something called America Honors Recovery. It was an event that was... Uh, actually founded by the Johnson Institute about 10 years ago, and we honor three individuals uh, for their contributions to the recovery 
movement into the recovery community and uh, one recovery community organization. The uh, individual awards are in uh, the name of Vernon Johnson, whom your listeners may know. He was uh, founder, really, of Intervention uh, as a strategy to uh, engage people in getting into recovery earlier in their lives. Uh, and Joel Hernandez, who uh, took a, a case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court around employment discrimination, is really a hero to the recovery community. So we give uh, an award to an organization. And then we also uh, establish something called the Lisa Mosher Torres Award, uh, who was, Lisa was our founding board chair and passed away a couple of years and was really an advocate for people using medication in their recovery. So we're just in the process right now, and that's why I'm so happy to have the opportunity uh, to chat with you about it, of uh, soliciting nominations. So uh, if any of your listeners have people whom they would like to uh, nominate for this award, they can go to our website, facesandvoicesofrecovery.org, and uh, fill out an application form. So this is my favorite thing that we do every year because it really is a chance to honor uh, the people all over the country who are standing up and speaking out and organizing on behalf of recovery. Um, September is Recovery Month. Uh, which is a month where we all focus on recovery, and there are many events. But Faces and Voices do a number of different, um, very eclectic kinds of things for to celebrate. Can you share with our listeners some of the cool things that happen? Sure. We have, um, about five or six years ago, we started what we call our National Hub event, and that's kind of our main uh, recovery rally on one day all across the country. And uh, in 2013, it's going to be in Providence, Rhode Island, on uh, September 21st, and former Congressman Pat- Patrick Kennedy is the Grand Marshal for this year's uh, Rally for Recovery events, which are happening all over the world, not just in the U.S. And last year, we started live streaming from various recovery rallies, and we live streamed from the Connecticut Community for Addiction Recovery in Hartford, Connecticut, and for from Dublin, Ireland, where they were having a recovery rally, and from Detroit, Michigan, which was our hub event last year. And uh, in 2013, I think we'll be streaming from events at 25 places all over the world. So the guy who's been helping us organize these online web streaming uh, streaming uh, activities said, you know, it's sort of like New Year's Eve, you know, when the ball comes down and you get yep. to see all the different things. Well, this way we get to see recovery all over the world. So look forward, look for that on our website. And um, what's really terrific about these rallies and Rally for Recovery, this kind of brand, I guess you'd call it, for um, the events that we organize is uh, we work with groups also to set up advocacy action areas at each of the rallies because um, these rallies are a place where people can come and celebrate recovery, which is fantastic, but in addition, it's an opportunity to come together to advocate. So we work with groups to get elected officials and prominent individuals to speak and participate, and then for all the people who are coming to the rallies, uh, to register to vote, to email your members of Congress and things like that, and the numbers have been astounding. So last year in Philadelphia was the largest event in the country. They had 18,000, if you can believe it, people in their rally marching through the streets of Philadelphia, um, and over 100,000 people all across the country. So this year we're shooting for 125,000 people and looking for people all across New England to be coming down into Providence on September 21st. That's really exciting. I know there are like motorcycle 
um, rally. Oh, right. And there's picnics and there's music fests and there's all kinds of things that people you do. You name to... it. You know, and that's what's exciting about, you know, organizing in the recovery community. It's like people at baseball games, that's another big thing. So uh, there have been a lot of partnerships with Major League Baseball where two or 300 people go to a ball game and are part of the crowd and get recognized on the scoreboard and stuff like that. It's like really all of these activities are bringing the recovery message, bringing the recovery community out into the public. And uh, we were talking about family members earlier, so a lot of this involves family members as well. Um, We um, organize with allied organizations uh, recovery wellness rooms at the uh, Republican and Democratic uh, national conventions in 2008 and in 2012, and uh, we had recovery meetings, you know, right off the convention floor in Charlotte at the Democratic National Convention, and, um, you know, people are there with their family, they come, they come for a meeting, pick up recovery materials and things like that. Uh, it's just normalizing recovery, uh, just like everything else that's going on, and, and that's really part of uh, what this whole movement is all about is letting people know that there is help, that people can get well, and that we need to advocate on behalf of the services and supports that we know that people need. Um, how can people learn about Faces and Voices of Recovery or get in contact with you? Well, let's just go to our website. It's uh, www. all spelled out, facesandvoicesofrecovery.org. And you can sign up for our e-newsletter. And then our board is organized in regions all across the country. So if you sign up, uh, we'll connect you also with our, our regional representative and we look forward to working with folks. Um, we have like a couple minutes left, Pat. Is there anything that you really want to get out to folks? I mean, Well, just to stand up and speak out. That's what it's all about. And that... Um, Please either join us or go on our website and find a recovery community organization where you live or uh, if you're interested in starting up one because you don't have one yet, uh, we have a, a guide for how to set, set up a recovery community organization in your community. So uh, really appreciate, Mary, this opportunity to chat with you and uh, encourage people to be part of this growing movement. Um, well, I appreciate you taking time to be our guest. This is so important to everybody because... We're not going to get change unless people stand up and demand it. Um, you know, when, when HIV became epidemic, um, the people in the gay community stood up and said, we're not going to tolerate this. We want help. We want research. We want funding. And they got it. Right. And for reasons that um, boggle the mind, people in recovery don't do that. They don't stand up and say, you know, we deserve to live and we want treatment and we want the resources we need to be in recovery, and and I just think it's so important that that voice gets stronger and stronger because until it does, I you know we're going to be kind of stuck. Well, and there's a new uh, documentary film coming out called The Anonymous People. We're actually doing a screening here in D.C. on April 25th, which is really all about that. It's like the history of people speaking up and standing up, and, you know, I really do think a sea change is happening, uh, and we're seeing a lot more advocacy, which is partly why we're in the Affordable Care Act, you know. If uh, if advocates hadn't come together to end insurance discrimination with the Wellstone Domenici Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act, we probably wouldn't be in the Affordable Care Act. So uh, I, I, I do see a growing uh, advocacy movement that we, we must have if we're going to get things to be the way they need to be. 
But I think not only do individuals need to get together, but also all the addiction, 100 or so addiction professional organizations need to get together as well and, and come to Washington with one voice. Absolutely. Absolutely. It has to be a unified effort. Right, right. Um, thank you for being part of our show today. And, thank you. Um, I hope everyone has a great week. And um, please go and visit Faces and Voices recovery.org. It's, there's a lot on that website and um, there's some really good information. So have a good week, everyone. And thank you again, Pat. Oh, you're very welcome. Nice to chat with you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.